0: So it is exciting to think about uh, Holy Week coming um, less than two weeks away, and uh, as you know, we have a Good Friday service and uh, Easter Sunday service in the uh, in the theater, which uh, we get to use, and uh, we get to fill up hopefully on Easter Sunday morning so uh, you know, as he said take take these cards and uh, put them to good use. Um, there are people, many people who are open to an invitation who aren 't ordinarily it just sort of um, Maybe seems uh, customary or traditional, or maybe I ought to check that out, and, and uh, I think we have an opportunity there. Um, so grab a bunch of these cards, and uh, who knows what will happen. I also want to uh, put in a plug for a small group. If you're not in a small group, there's about nine or ten of them going right now, uh, five days a week. And as you leave this morning, really, if you're not in one, these, are, these groups are all, we've checked with them, they're all open to taking new folks. Uh, so uh, don't let that be uh, an inhibition or uh, stop you from uh, making the call. Um, there are uh, There's contact information on here. So you can just call them up or you can, uh, I guess, email them and say, hey, I'd like to come. And uh, don't say, I'd like to come, say, I'm coming. And they will deal with you. And they will welcome you. And I'm uh, very, very confident of that. So uh, grab this on the way out and uh, consider being part of a of a group, not just because you need something to do, because you're all busy, I know that, but because you need a place where you can process life, where there's a kind of um, narration going on, like what's going on in your life, and people are listening to you, and people are interested, and people are praying for you, and people want to know, you know, a week later, well, how did that go? And uh, we're not supposed to do this alone, we're supposed to do this in community, and this is a, a great opportunity for us to do that, so consider this. Um, Last week, I presented a message called um, "What was it called again?" I just wondered if anybody remembered. Okay, um, I was trying to respond to a question—the question that always sort of, sort of um, challenges us when someone says, "Well, well, who are you? What do you believe? What's your label?" And uh, trying to find a label that isn't already contaminated by negative associations. So. I decided, after um, pouring myself into a particular passage, which I'll read again from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that that I'm going to call myself a radical affirmationist. I believe in the God who says yes. I believe in the God who always says yes. And remember, I I got challenged on that, as I shared that last week. What do you mean, always says yes? Doesn't he give us ten commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not? I believe in the God who always says yes, except when he says no. But he only says no on the way to yes. And um, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In fact, why don't we turn to that and read that again. And the reason I'm doing this is because I am never completely confident that you get it, that we get it, after hearing it once. In fact, sometimes I think we ought to do the same sermon every Sunday for a year and just see what happens. Um, see if we, it, not only if we, if we get it, but if it gets into us. You know, there's kind, of a, there's kind of a progression of engagement as we encounter the Word of God. And I wonder where you are in this progression. So it begins with, I suppose, the lightest sort of um, engagement would be interest. I'm interested in this. And I'm assuming that virtually all of you here today are at least interested in what God has to say. But, but obviously, interest isn't enough. So let's go up to, I believe this, to some significant extent. I, I believe what I'm hearing. I believe what you're saying, God. And then from there to, I know this. I've had some experience with this. I've had some confirmation of this. I know this. That isn't just something I believe as a purely intellectual sort of exercise, but I, I know it, and then it has to go from there. I believe, I just confuse you now by using the word twice, to go from I'm interested to I believe it to I know it to I feel it. It's gotten inside me. Um, it's energizing me. I'm passionate about this. I feel this. I wonder where you are on this progression. There's actually one more, and it's probably the most important step. And until you get there, you don't really know if all the other ones are true. I mean, are you really interested? Do you really believe this? Do you really know this? Do you really feel this? Then, are you doing it? Is this part of your life? Is this part of your practice? Are you doing it? So let me read again from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. And... Uh, And do a little self-assessment here. Where are you on this progression from interest to practice? Okay, where are we here? I'll just read it off the board. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, in Christ, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. And the amazing thing, and again, I'm repeating myself because I want us to progress from mere interest to actual practice. All the promises of God coming out of the Old Testament, where God introduces Himself to us and begins to share His will, His purpose for us. All the promises of God correspond precisely to the deepest longings of the human heart. I mean, God made us for this. God designed us. And yes, we're going off in all the wrong directions, much of the time, you know, looking for fulfillment in other places. But God has our best interests at heart. He knows who you are. He knows exactly what you need. Um, We get a little bit confused. We get a lot confused about that. But his desire is not to simply stop us as we're going in the wrong direction. His desire is to redirect us in the direction that he intends for us. Now, I'm hoping you're interested in that concept. I hope you're interested in that and curious about and kind of leaning into that word. Does he really have my best interest at heart? Does he really understand who I am? Because sometimes, in our mythology, in our distortion of God, we think God is the one who's always stopping us from going in the direction that we want to go in. All the good things he's against. And he's replaced us with all the hardest things that don't really do us any good. Feel free to come sit right in the front row here. Young young man, young lady. Good to have you here. I mean... Have you ever complained to God about that? God, the very thing I want is the very thing that you're forbidding. You know, that's kind of, in popular culture, that's the way it is. If you want to have fun, well, don't, don't certainly don't become a follower of Christ because that's, that's hard and, um, and, you know, it's kind of boring and it's kind of dreary and it's, you know, not what life is really about. I mean, if you get into that, if you become religious. Now, again, we have this horrible distortion with that label that doesn't work for me at all. But that's the stereotype. If you're religious, if you're a Christian, if you're someone who is part of a church, you know, again, all of these images in our mind, that means no to everything that you want to do. And if that's where you are, may I say it respectfully, you've got it all wrong. You've got it completely wrong. Because in Christ, all the promises of God are yes. And those promises about. Meaning, finding meaning in life, about receiving forgiveness, I mean, for all the worst stuff you've ever done, about getting direction about where you should be going, about making an investment in the lives of other people, about using your gifts, about finding real significance, about enjoying all that God has made, God continually, persistently, passionately says yes to all of that in Christ. He's delivered all of that. And against the worst fears and the possibility of overcoming them, he's saying yes to all of that. And yes, and yes, and yes. Now, okay, you're interested in that, and I'm hoping I'm piquing your interest a little bit, even by sort of elaborating. And maybe you believe it. Good for you. And maybe you're coming to know it. And maybe you're even feeling something now as you hear it, as you listen to it, as you apply it to your own situation. That the deepest, most legitimate longings in your heart, because God put them there, he has a purpose, he has a fulfillment in mind, and in Christ, he's making a way. And if you, by faith, say yes to him, you are now... You're now going in the right direction. You are now going to discover God promises that he's going to deliver on all these promises in his way, in his time, in ways that will surprise you, in ways that will even feel like he's not answering your prayer. And thank God he's not answering all your prayers because you don't know what you're asking for sometimes. He has a better idea. And it's all about trusting him and really trusting this yes. Do you trust this yes? Yes. Now again, a loving God, like a loving parent, sometimes has to say no. But no on the way to yes. No is not the final answer, not from God. No on the way to yes. No, this isn't what is good for you. This isn't what is right for you. You don't know better, but I do, and this is where I'm going to power you up to go in this direction. This is the invitation that you're getting from me. This is is God's point of view. This is what is being revealed in his word, is that we get to go in this direction. So sometimes God says no, but he only says no on the way to yes. Now let me read some scriptures, because that's a bit of a subtle point for us. Like, really? Sometimes I think the no is a full stop. I mean, it's a dead end, and that's all I'm getting. Um, Because he's a God of justice... He's not just sort of casually saying yes, he's a permissive God. No, he's not like that. He's a God of justice. He knows how to say no. He must say no to what's wrong. He must say no to you and I sometimes because what we're doing is in contradiction to his loving purpose for us and for the people around us. So he will say no because of his love, not not despite his love, but because of his love, he will say no and redirect us. So let's go back to the prophecy of, well, let's go back to the Psalms first. And in the Psalms, his anger, that feels like a no, lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Doesn't that sound like a wild, extravagant yes? Weeping may remain for the night, for a night, but rejoicing rejoicing comes in the morning. That theme is repeated over and over again. God will say no. It will be like a slap in the face. It will be like a stinging rebuke. But he's doing that to get our attention so that we'll turn and go in a different direction, which is really where our ultimate happiness and joy belong. Let's go to Hosea, the prophecy of Hosea. When Israel was a child, bear with me for a moment as I read this, I loved him. This is God speaking to Israel and God speaking to all of us because we're the heirs of what those promises to Israel when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. I liberated him. That's yes and yes so far. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. That's a no from Israel back to God. They sacrificed to the ba- Baals, the false gods. And by the way, sacrifice sometimes meant child sacrifice. You'd actually sacrifice your own children. You would kill them in order to worship these gods. And they burnt incensed images. That's a huge no all the way around. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, yes and yes, but they did not realize it, a no. It was I who healed them, a yes. I led them with cords of human kindness. God is adapting even to our human needs with ties of love, yes and yes. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them, yes and yes again. How can I give you up, Ephraim? You see, God in his judgment must judge what's wrong. But he finds a way, because his love is that creative, to get around this and finds a way to make it right and turn us around in the right direction. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. God's heart is always, and this is sort of an anthropomorphism, if you will, because God's heart doesn't actually change. But God is ultimately and originally and always committed to showing his mercy. All my compassion is aroused, it comes back because that's his original intention. Let's go into the New Testament from Romans. You know this passage, and I, I'm going to read it even though it's longer because it's so powerful, it's so full of yes. Please apply this. I hope you're at least interested if not further down the line. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That's what he's doing. If God is for us, who can be against us? We sang that earlier again and again in the chorus in the praise song. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Did you hear that? Give us all things. Give you all things that you need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack any good thing that I truly need. He will give you all good things. Who knows what those good things are? He does. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Well, only God could. Only God has the right to judge. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? There is nobody authorized to say no once God has said yes. You don't have to listen to that other voice. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us, pleading for us, defending us. For I am convinced that nothing in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love. Let's continue in Hebrews. Okay, there's something called discipline. We don't like this part, but we got to face it because it's also an expression of God's love. When God stops you, when God um, challenges you, and when a friend who cares about you does the same thing, this is what's happening. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. And by the way, though, holiness is kind of a word that sounds kind of stodgy and kind of retro. It's actually a powerful word. It means that you are set apart entirely for God's purpose. And you get to represent him in the world. No discipline seems pleasant at the moment. Uh, You're kidding. Yeah, no, it doesn't. But it's painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So that's an opportunity, invitation, even to experience God's discipline. God, stop me when I'm going in the, right, in, in the wrong direction. There's a, there's a, there's a ministry uh, for, for people who are lost in addiction called God Help Me Stop. I mean, do you want somebody to stop you when you're going in the wrong direction? The answer is, well, not really. But you really do. You really do want us to stop you. You want us to at least ask the question. You want to at least get challenged and say, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you sure you're going in the right direction? Because if you're not, you're going away from what God wants and what God wants is best for you. And because I love you, I've got to tell you that. It's a loving confrontation, but it's motivated by this grand yes that says, I'm determined to see that you get to this place that is so much better for you. And because it's better for you, you're going to become a blessing, more of a blessing for all of us. This is all kind of embedded in God's yes. James, book of James. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What's God's ultimate priority, his his highest value, his deepest core value? It's mercy. And if you and I don't get this, then we'll drift into judgment against other people. Okay? And if we feel like we're sort of under judgment, we're going to be giving judgment away. But judgment has been lifted. Because what Christ has done, all of this this yes is, again, anchored in what Christ has done. Judgment's been lifted. So if I've been released from that judgment, I have no right to impose it on you. And so now I'm going to begin to reflect God's yes to you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That is the best news. This is the gospel, repeated over and over and over again. There's no more powerful word than Mercy. Especially in a world that says, yeah, you get rewarded if you do good. If you consistently do good. If you achieve, if you achieve more than other people. If you constantly get the highest grade. If you're the best performer, the top performer. And if you continue to improve, you better never dip. You better never fail. In fact, coming in second place is a failure. You're under judgment. But the mercy of God trumps even that tendency. We've all experienced that, and we've all probably projected that on other people. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Continuing into Revelation. God's great, yes, the final word at the end. Last chapter of the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Life. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. This great gift. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I mean, this is a a very diverse picture of people that God intends to bless. I mean, it's more expansive than we know. We tend to think of, okay, there's a few folks within Israel. There's the remnant, the righteous remnant. Okay, well, well, maybe it's all of Israel. Okay, well, maybe it's even going out to the Gentiles, and maybe it's something called the, ch- the church, and then God continues to blow the minds of those who lead the church and saying, I love people that are way out there, that seem very, very lost. I have a plan and a purpose for them too. I want you to get this good news to them. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be a curse. We live under a curse in this world. It's a fallen world. There's a lot that goes wrong. And this is God's ultimate attention is to reverse the curse. The spirit and the bride say, come. This is the last couple of verses of the whole Bible. The spirit, the bride say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. God is saying yes throughout. We may not be paying attention. We may be merely curious or sort of interested or say we believe in it. Or belong to an institution that says, yeah, this is what we're about. I don't know what it is, because that's really, you know, talk to my leader, my pastor. No, this, this, is, this is something that ultimately, if you believe, you will know. And if you come to know it, you will feel it. It will energize you. It will become your passion, and then you will do it. You will live this. Now, let's go back for a moment, because we've got to go back to Luke. I say, wait a minute, what, what, what's Luke? That's out of sequence here. I know. Because I love this part. I mean, this is where we get it. If we never get it anywhere else, the parable of the prodigal son, which is really the parable of the prodigal God. Tim Keller wrote a great book called The Prodigal God. Prodigal means wasteful. And how is God wasteful? He wastes his love on undeserving people. Which is what the older brother was complaining about in this story when the younger brother came back from all of his prodigal living all of his ungodly living, and the father does what? Said to his servants, when he saw the son, when he embraced the son, quick, there's a yes even in that word, quick, we're not going to put you on probation, we're not going to make you sweat it, we're not going to see whether you're worthy of it, quick, right now, it's my decision, the father is saying. I've decided to say yes to you, even before I find out all that's happened, or even before we find out all that you're going to do with this, I'm saying yes to you. Quick, bring the best robe, yes, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, that means he's the son again. And sandals on his feet, let's take care of his need. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Do you understand the depth of this, of this teaching? Do you, do you get this? Does it, does it touch your heart? God celebrates when you're reclaimed, when you're recovered, when you're forgiven because of what Christ has done. God celebrates. Heaven celebrates. The angels celebrate. Whatever that means. And, uh, and the church, which is supposed to be getting this, celebrates. I mean, we should be celebrating every little half step a person takes back toward God. We should be celebrating if God is even now part of the conversation in someone's life and, and wasn't before. We should never forget, we should never take for granted what God is doing in somebody's life and even celebrate in advance the potential for what could happen and be a part of that. The older brother stands outside and says, No, this younger brother, which, who I've disowned, and Dad, you should have disowned, now he's back. This is terrible. This is horrible. What are you doing, Dad? Have you lost your mind? You can't just welcome him back like nothing has happened. He owes us money, which really means he owes me money because that was my inheritance that he took prematurely. The son cannot get into the mood of celebration. And the problem is, too many times the church can't either. We sit in judgment on the people around. We we even sit in judgment on on us, the people sitting next, next to us. And that is counter to everything that the gospel tells us. Absolutely counter to it. And so they began to celebrate. Now, the ultimate no in scripture. I mean, if you really want to face this issue head on and go after it and say, well, what about this? Look at the cross. Talk about the worst possible, the bloodiest, most gruesome, most brutal picture of of no. And it was a no coming from the Roman political entity. It was coming from the Jewish religious entity. And it was even coming from God. In fact, there was a moment of cosmic schizophrenia when God the judge and God the sacrifice, God the Father, God the Son, are in some kind of... I mean, this is is beyond our understanding... My God, my God, Jesus says from the cross, why have you forsaken me? Fulfilling the prophecy of, of an earlier psalm. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you said no to me? Because at that moment, he became sin. He took on the worst, all that you've ever done. I mean, just think about the sin in this room. No, you don't want to think about that. Think about your own sin and then multiply it twice, you know, by a few hundred people. And that's just a small sliver of the vast amount of sin that was piled up on him. And he was the only innocent person ever. He was the innocent Lamb of God, and he took the sin. He didn't just take it on him. He became sin, it says in Corinthians. He became sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He became sin. And God turned his back, and sin was punished, and Christ died. He died. And the worst part wasn't the physical torment, though it was horrible, obviously. It was this moment of separation that you and I can't realize. This was the perfect love affair, that at this moment there was a distance. And that had to be if you and I were to be released from our guilt so that the divine yes could be delivered. And if you can't celebrate that, you don't know how to celebrate. You've got too much older brother in you. And some of us are sitting here right now saying, "Yes, thank you very much, Lord, but I don't think He gets this. I don't think He deserves this. I hope it doesn't. Hope it doesn't apply to. Him. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact. Yes, as a matter of fact, it does. And so the cross, which is the ultimate no, it just screams no and negation, is turned by God by the incredible capacity of God to take something that is awful and turn it around and make it into something beautiful so that some of us today are wearing jewelry, which is a cross. An instrument of death has become a picture of blessing. That's what God can do. He can turn that no into a yes. What seems like his own no, and certainly to the disciples who were all scattered, who were gone, who had given up, who were in total despair, who completely lost their courage and lost their faith, that got turned around by a magnificent resurrection into a yes. And what God was accomplishing on that cross turns out to be something incredibly valuable. And so there's something called a great exchange. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. There's a great exchange going on. Our brokenness, his loving kindness for your guilt, his grace for your for your guilt, his grace, for my guilt and uh, and that that changes everything that changes everything. God has found a way to yes he's found the ultimate route to yes. The genius of the gospel is that what was impossible what was a dead end for a hopeless world has become a magnificent yes, and there are um, um, there's evidence of this yes breaking out all over the world. The question is, are you and I a part of this? Are you absorbing it and are you expressing it? There it is. It's amazing how he can read my mind. He knows exactly what I'm going to say. And there it is up there. Are you absorbing this? God says yes to you. And the biggest protest might come from you saying, well, yeah, well this I, 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 I can't. I don't deserve it. Are you sure? Yes. But do you know me well? Yes, I know you very well, and I know all the things that are wrong God is saying. I know that. Of course, he knows that full well, and he has the right to judge, and he has suspended judgment because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And God's, it's God's decision to say yes. It's not you auditioning for God. It's not you proving yourself. It's too late for that. In fact, before you even cared, God did this. He decided to love you. He decided to say yes to you, right where you are. And to the person sitting next to you. And to the person that you can't stand. As we sit here this moment, if you were to be honest, God is saying yes to that person in Christ. And longing for a yes in response. A trusting in God's yes by saying yes. I don't know what you're doing sometimes, God. I um, get a little impatient waiting for you to come through, but I know who you are, and I trust your character, and I've seen what you've done. And in Christ, you're saying yes, and I say yes back to you. And we're always afraid. Well, then, that will turn into a kind of license to sin then. People can just trample on the grace of God then. God can't be quite, that's too big of a risk. No, it's a huge risk and God's decided to take it. And that grace doesn't give you a license to sin, that grace claims you. You are not your own, you are bought with a price now. And when you are loved like that, you now have a new identity. You have a new calling in your life. It isn't like patting you on the head and sending you off. No, it's it's, it's claiming you. It's, it, it has transformative power. It really does. This is such an alien concept for us. It's an alien concept here in Silicon Valley. I have a friend, and you probably have friends, and maybe it's true of you yourself, you know, who works for a corporation. And in this corporation, they, uh, if you get hired, you know, and you have to prove yourself and prove your potential and, you know, show your resume and everything, but if, if you get hired, they hire you uh, as a temp as a contract employee. And uh, the impression is, the impression they give everybody, apparently, and I'm not picking on any one corporation right now. I'm picking on all of them. I think this is true of so many, uh, so many of, uh, of, of, of the way we do business these days. So, so what happens is you become a contract employee, and uh, you have certain quotas, and uh, you, you want to do well and you want to reach those quotas, you really have to kind of excel beyond the quota because everybody else is in competition with you and you're with them. And so you want to ultimately get converted into a permanent employee. That's the whole point of this thing. So you go quarter by quarter and you meet these quarter by quarter and you might meet this quota for that quarter. You might not. You come at the end of the year and uh, they say, well, you did very well, did very well. And this is the case of my friend, did very well. In fact, he exceeded his quota, and uh, we're going to make you a contract employee for another year because, you know, we, we're hoping you're going to do better. But I already reached the quota. Yeah, but we want, we want you to do better. Anybody relating to any of this? Okay. Second year, third year, it's still happening. And then he finds out that uh, not only is he disappointed that he's not, you know, being converted, but most of his friends, and even those who are doing well, and even some of those who have done a little bit better, are not being converted. In fact, in fact, it's sort of legendary now because here's a guy over here or a lady over here who got converted, and that's so rare. It's almost impossible to get there. And the whole point is that in this world, how you give people incentive is you don't say yes to them. You say no, with the hope someday you might reach a yes. And uh, it's become so discouraging to so many that it actually becomes kind of counterproductive. And we have a philosophy, we, I mean the corporate world, we have a philosophy that says you don't want to say yes too soon because then people will stop working hard. Now God takes a different approach here. It's really interesting. He says yes from the very beginning and believes that that is what empowers us. That that sense of security, that sense of belonging to him, actually brings out the best in you. It's not threat. It's not the kind of negative, rundown pressure. It's a kind of righteous pressure, if you will. Now, if this is what God has done for you, you will want to live a life worthy of this. Not to pay him back, because you can't pay him back. You can't pay back this debt. It's impossible. You owe him too much. It's no longer about that kind of exchange. There's, no kind of, there's not, a, not a barter going on here. Now it's all about... Your free choice to love and serve and live for Him. And you're already in. You're not hoping someday you might get that level of acceptance. It's interesting. The word accept in Scripture it often talks about how Christ has accepted us. The word doesn't mean, I accept you, which when we say it kind of puts a hand out there I, I accept you, I tolerate you. But the word in the Greek means to embrace. I accept you I I embrace you and pull you close to me. That's what God is doing. What if from the very beginning you knew you were loved? Instead of having to sort of wonder and worry and try and prove and test, what if you knew from the very beginning you were loved? And now the invitation was, can you live that out? Can you become that person? That'd be a whole different way of living. And so whoever you work for, whatever corporation, whatever their uh, set of incentives are, um, what if you knew that ultimately, you know, I'm working for God, and yes, I have a job, but I belong not to the corporation. I belong to God. And I I might be in this job or I might be in some other job, but my life calling, my vocation is to respond to someone who's already said yes to me. He said yes. I feel his arms around me. In fact, I'm in his family. In fact, I belong to him. In fact, he's my father. And I've been introduced to him by Christ who shows again and again the Father's heart. Says yes to people who had no idea they were going to be included and found themselves you know, receive, on the receiving end of his great love. So let me, let me finish this message, which I hope will never be finished. I hope it will resound in your ears that in Christ all the promises of God are yes that he only says no on the way to yes, and that you and I are called to absorb this good news and express it out to the people around us. So let me give you sort of three tests of whether or not, and maybe it's not really a test, it's really an invitation to express this love to three different kinds of people in your life. First of all, those who are in the inner circle of your life. I know you have some people in the inner circle, probably your family and, a, and, and close, closest friends, okay? Would you ask them to tell you candidly, okay, here's a dare now. Ask them, does my face, does my tone of voice, do my words, does my attitude, does it, do you get yes from me? Remember Paul said, our message to you is not yes and no. It's yes because we've learned this from God whose message is yes to us and only yes in Christ. Would you ask somebody who knows you well in that inner circle, is my demeanor, is my countenance, is, is my attitude expressing God's yes? You, are you getting yes from me? Or is it a mixed message? Or frankly, are there times when you just get no, you get pushback, you get I don't want this relationship, you know, ask that question. What message are you sending? Are are you a reflection of God's yes to the people around you? I can't tell right now whether you're going to do this or not. But I challenge you to do it. And when you find, when you hear from somebody as you may well, I've got my wife sitting here in the second row, okay? And of course, I'm waiting for her to ask me. I don't really want to ask her because I'm dying to critique the rest of you, okay? But am I, has this gotten into me? Am I feeling it? Is, is, is his love inside me? Are you getting love from me? And the people closest to me should know the answer to that question. And it may not be exactly what I want to hear, but that means I get to grow. That means I get, and, and, and how do you grow? You grow not by trying harder. You grow by receiving more of his love by by letting down the barriers and letting it in. Because the more love you feel, the more love you have to give away. You can't give away something you don't have. So it may not be your fault at all. You're just not letting it in. So make that choice. Um, Tune in. Encounter his word. Experience all that God has to give. Uh Uh-oh. What does this mean? She's getting ready for our lunch, our debriefing, our Haiti, because she's been cooking this food from haiti at least i think that's what she's doing i don't know she may be giving up on me altogether wow i got to think about that for a moment so your inner circle ask them ask them i dare you are you getting yes from me i mean i mean god's yes i mean a deep profound loving inviting yes is that what you're getting ask your kids what do you get from dad you get a lot of no's, you get a lot of... My wife had to remind me once that I didn't need to speak loudly to my son. He was already sensitive enough. I didn't need to overdo it. You know, um, I was intimidating enough already. And, and that can be kind of a big, loud no. And you don't want to be a scary dad. You know, you're already ten times bigger than this kid. And you want, ultimately, your son your daughter to hear a yes. And if I need to redirect you, we're going to redirect you to something that you will love and we're going to keep celebrating God's, yes, that's what we're about. Okay, so secondly, there's, a, there's an inner circle and there's sort of an outer circle and that would include probably some people in here and people at work and people maybe in your neighborhood. Um, what, do you do with, what do you do with that question? What do you do with those, with those folks? You get to practice. You get to practice this yes thing on them. Um, you know, they don't maybe know you well enough to know, to answer the first question for the inner circle, but but here's, here's a laboratory for us. Begin to practice. Begin to say, okay, I want to make sure that people are getting yes from me. They're getting actual positive engagement from me. They're getting what God wants to give them through me. Okay? You get to practice it. And then there's all the people who are out there, the strangers that you really... Don't know that you might meet. The enemies. Wow, do you have any enemies? The people that um, might even feel a bit hostile. um, Pray for them. Pray for them. It's amazing how prayer changes your attitude. And prayer converts judgment into at least the willingness to affirm God's love even for your enemies. So ask those who are in the inner circle. Test Practice this. Use this as a laboratory where you have acquaintances. And pray for those people who are hardest for you to love, that you can't imagine, you know, even God Himself notices in any favorable way. Okay? And uh, let's keep talking about this. Let's not let it go. There's something powerful here. Let's pray.